Today we are dealing with Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll probably leave it for a while. I think Dr. Hip has one more night in Ephesians, two more, two more nights on Wednesday evening where you'll get this book in greater detail, and I'm kind of giving you an overview. That sermon last Sunday, someone told me, was for the birds, and uh, so we don't have any birds here today. But anyway, uh, I want to take up Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11 to verse 22. But here's the heart of it right here. Look at verse 13 and 14. Here's the heart of it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. By the blood representing the death of Jesus at which he shed his blood. For he himself, Christ, as the offering. Now, the, the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, has a tendency to make very personal an abstract concept. So that he, the Jewish mind would say, Christ is our peace. We would not say that. In, in the Western mind, we would say, Christ brings our peace. But the Jewish mind loves to personify or make personal abstract concepts so that Paul writes with the Jewish mindset, Christ is our peace. He is our peace. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. Now I title this message, Breaking Down Walls. Because the, the message of this text is very simple, very plain. Though it's complex as to how we get to it. Jesus has led the way in breaking down any and all walls between men and between men, between men and men, and between men and God. By his death, which brought Jew and Gentile together and made them both one. Uh, I don't watch a lot of television, uh, and uh, there are many evenings where I don't have time to watch Channel 12 News since they moved from the appointed regular hour of 6.30, which is 6.30 in the news is sort of like 11 o'clock in church on Sunday morning. Amen? And, uh, but anyway, since they moved it, now I don't get a, a chance to watch NBC News and Tom Brokaw, and sometimes I have to resort to Peter Jennings even at 6.30 in order to get out of there. And there's a difference, by the way. Did you know that? You, you ought to tape them all and watch them for one week. There's a difference. There's a slant. There's a bias. But then we'll not get into that. What were we talking about this morning? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. And occasionally I, we will leave on the television and I'll catch the beginnings. And I'm intrigued by it. My wife is mesmerized by home improvement. <laughs> I like Tim, but I like his wife better. She knows how to take care of him. <laughs> the quintessential comeback. But really the intriguing thing about home improvement is what? It's Mr. Wilson, Mr. No-Face Wilson, and the fence that always divides Tim from Mr. Wilson. And uh, that fence in which Tim pours out his problems, nobody sees his world the way he sees his macho world, that fence divides him and Mr. Wilson, whose face you never see, is the alter ego over there spouting Socrates or whatever to him and telling him what he ought to be thinking 
or how he ought to see things, but I'm mesmerized by that fence, that division there, that wall. And it's symbolic. There is a wall between Tim and Mr. Wilson. There is a wall between neighbors. There is a wall sometimes between men and men. There is a wall between a sinner who's at enmity with God. There is a division. And it is a striking statement that Paul makes in the middle of all of this in verse 14 when he says, Christ has broken down the wall of division or partition that seems to divide the Tims of this world and the Mr. Wilsons, but technically divides people on many levels and divides all of us from God until we've been reconciled by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did Jesus break down that wall of enmity between God and man, and how did he provide for the walls of hostility and the walls of division to be broken down between you and your brother that you haven't spoken to for nine years. Between you and a retailer who offended you and you haven't been back in that store for 13 years. How does Christ give us a model for reconciling with you and that child between whom there are miles right now? And it occurs to me that the theological truth of Christ breaking down the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile and between man and God lays down for us a pattern by which we can break the walls that divide us, whomever that might be. Whomever that might be. So let's look at the passage. Actually, there are four steps, five steps maybe, if, depending on how you look at it. The first thing is Christ recognized the problem. God knew there was a problem. Remember, therefore, that you, verse 11, once Gentiles called uncircumcision by those who are called circumcision... And right there, he gets at the division. There's a wall between Jew and Gentile. Because the Jew said, I'm circumcised, and you're not circumcised. I'm God's chosen, and you're God's forbidden. I'm God's special people. You are God's ordinary people. We are very important. You are dogs. The Jews of Jesus' day were taught to look at Gentiles, and they even called them dogs which is why Jesus used that illustration when the woman wanted to know what was available to her. And she said even dogs like to lick up the crumbs under the table. What is there for a Gentile, she is saying. So he recognizes the problem that at that time you Gentiles, verse 12, were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth, strangers from the covenants, no hope without God in this world. And he lays down the problem. There was a wall of division. The Gentiles envied the Jews for their blessing. The Gentiles were considered second class to the Jews. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles. There were all kinds of walls. There were walls of envy, walls of resentment, walls of bitterness, walls of anger against God for doing it, for allowing a body of people like the Jews to be chosen for whom God would give representative blessings. 
in order to show what he could do for the whole world. And in the meantime, while that happened, the Gentiles felt like they had been excluded and there was a wall of division. And there are still many, many walls of division which ought not to be in the body of Christ. I'M NOT TALKING ABOUT DENOMINATIONS, BECAUSE I THINK IT'S THE NATURE OF HUMAN NATURE TO CLUSTER TOGETHER AROUND THE THINGS WHICH WE HOLD DEAR. I THINK DENOMINATIONS ARE A RECOGNITION THAT WE'RE NOT ALL CLONES OF EACH OTHER. I THINK, the, I think SOMETIMES THAT GOD USES THOSE. I THINK THE REAL THING JESUS IS PRAYING ABOUT, THAT WE MIGHT NOT LET THOSE d DISTINCTIONS of, of, OF DOCTRINAL KIND OF PERSUASIONS KEEP US FROM FELLOWSHIP AND FROM ACCOMPLISHING THE LARGER WILL OF GOD TOGETHER. I THINK THAT'S WHAT THAT MEANS. PRACTICE SPIRITUAL UNITY. I DON'T THINK JESUS WANTS US TO MARCH ALL IN LOCKSTEP AND BE ONE BODY AND, and EVERYBODY AGREE AND SAY THE SAME THING. I CAN'T GET ANYBODY IN THIS CHURCH TO AGREE. I CAN'T GET ANYBODY IN THIS STAFF TO AGREE. SO HE RECOGNIZED THE PROBLEM. THAT'S ALWAYS STEP ONE. SECONDLY, JESUS REMOVED THE CAUSES. <laughs> He abolished enmity. Look at verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. There it is. He eliminated or abolished the sources, the objective causes of enmity and bitterness and envy and jealousy and exclusivism, which were the middle wall that divided Jew from Gentile. Jesus just abolished it. Said, okay, no more. The law isn't just for Jews now. <laughs> now grace is for everybody. Okay, uh, you don't have to keep the law in order to be saved and practice all those ordinances of the Old Testament. Christ has fulfilled them so that you're saved in Christ, and Jew and Gentile alike are saved in Christ. And by his death, where all the ordinances of the law were nailed to Christ at the cross, they died with him at the cross because they're no longer valuable. And he abolished in his flesh, in the death of his flesh, he abolished the sources of jealousy and envy between Jew and Gentile. So now that the gospel is open equally to Jew and Gentile, and grace is for all, it was removed. Very important, very important to understand that. The ordinances were nailed to the cross, so they have no more effect because Christ has fulfilled them. <laughs> Thank God I don't have to try to fulfill all the points of the law because I rest in Christ and he fulfilled the law for me. He was not only my substitute in paying for sin at the cross, he was my substitute in his life by living a perfect life and fulfilling the law, so I don't have to do it. That's very important. So he removed the causes. He abolished enmity. Notice that verse 15. Next, he reconciled the parties. He removed the causes for unreconciled attitudes. Look at verse 16. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, he not only abolished uh, the enmity... In his death, the law died with Christ. The demands uh, of God's holiness against us died with Christ. 
But the, unrecon the need for an unreconciled attitude died with Christ. I don't have to feel hard towards you anymore. You don't have to feel hard towards me anymore. He removed the causes for unreconciled attitudes. And that, in verse 16, comes by putting to death the enmity. Now, what do I mean by that? He removed the inner, not only the objective causes, but the subjective attitudes, the thoughts. I walk down the hall and Larry Sauls doesn't speak to me. And I think one of two things. What have I done to offend Larry Sauls? Or two, he thinks he's too smart and too good to speak to me. Now, if I really cut him some grace and slack, I'm going to say, boy, Larry's one of the best men I know. He's preoccupied, and that's why he didn't speak to me, which is the reason why he didn't speak to me 17 years ago. Right, Larry? <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> you see, there is no object, subjective reason why you should feel towards anybody or towards God that you are worth less than somebody else or that God doesn't care for you. If you're in Christ, he removes the genuine causes for attitudes which divide us. Oftentimes, we're divided by attitudes. If I've been reconciled to Christ, if I've been reconciled to God, I have no objective reason for thinking in my mind. God doesn't love me. I have no objective reason for having a wrong attitude towards anybody in this church. <coughs> Excuse me. God is taking care of that by reconciliation, and He has removed for me, for me, for me, He has removed any reason why I should not have a proper attitude towards everyone in the body. So the subjective causes were dealt with, and now the the uh, up, uh, and the objective causes. Now the subjective causes were dealt with. I don't know how else to make a distinction to you on that. I, I, I thought of many different ways. One is a set of inner attitudes. The other is when there really is objective differences between us that have to be resolved. But the fourth thing is in verse 17. He reflects the union. He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. See, we were far in verse 12. Aliens from the commonwealth, strangers from the covenants, but now I have every right that anybody else has. He reflects the union. He preaches peace. And then fifthly, he rectified the inequities. Look at that in verse 18. For through him, through Christ, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. He took the unfairness, the inequities. Jews had easy access to God. They had the law. Gentiles were outside the, the, the covenant. Strangers, oh, there was a way for them to get there, but it was tough. And the wall of division divided Jew and Gentile. But now he's removed the inequities. How did he do that? By making it possible for both of us to come directly into God's presence anytime we want. He said, all right, Jew and Gentile alike, you're welcome to my presence. Come and pray anytime you want. Whenever there's sin, pray. Whenever there's failure, pray. Whenever there's, there's a need, you come and pray. We have the same privileges. There's no distinction, no classes of Christians. We're all in the same class. 
Now, those are the steps that Christ took. And by giving us access, he then proves three things, and he uses three figures here. Now, watch the text. Verse 19, the first figure is we are fellow citizens. <laughs> I'm a member of God's kingdom, and you're a member of God's kingdom. And when I have that American passport, I have the same privileges that you have when you have that passport. And now that I'm a Christian, you have the same privileges I have. I'm a member of God's kingdom. I'm a member of, of uh, I'm, a, I'm a resident of the state of North Carolina. I'm a resident of uh, the United States of America. I'm a citizen of the United States, but I'm also a citizen of God's kingdom. Fellow citizens. All the rights and privileges of Jewish people in the Old Testament. Second figure is we are not only fellow citizens, but members of the family, the household of God. Now I'm in the family. So you see, if he's removed the causes, the inequities, and, and he's reflecting the union, how will that be reflected? By giving me the full rights to be his son. We've talked about that, but I just call that to your attention. It's in the text. And the third figure is, we are the foundation for a house. See it in verse 21, or verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. So you and I, together, equally with Jews all over the world, wherever men have received Christ, we are fellow citizens, we are members of the family, and we are the foundation of God's dwelling place. And on us, God's building a church. It's people. And God resides in those people like God resided in the temple of the uh, Old Testament. <clears throat> now, he took the walls down. He took the walls down. Now, I, I want us to talk about how we can take what we've learned from Christ and do the same thing. We had the ushers banquet Thursday night and that explains why this is here. I have up here in the pulpit this morning a glass of water and a glass of fresh squeezed orange juice with a sign that says, Hail to the Chief. <laughs> I was preaching at a church East Winston not long ago. I have a lot of good friends over there. When I, <laughs> as the pastor came in, Everybody stood and they had a procession for the pastor. And I told the ushers, I don't get that at Calvary. And then after the pastor came in and they ushered me in, six white uniformed nurse usherettes, ushers, came down with a tray and they had two fresh glasses of orange juice on there and a glass of water and three little capsules of smelling salts. And I said, what are those for? And they said, in case anybody gets slain in the spirit, we'll bring them back. What's the orange juice for? You'll probably need that. No, I don't think I'll need it yet. You'll likely need that. Got started preaching. I finished an hour and 20 minutes later. You think you got it rough? As I started preaching, the organist came in behind me with background music. I want that from now on here at Calvary too, Cynthia. <laughs> And when I would get high on a point, they would raise that 
that organ to a crescendo, and then I would run out of breath, and we would stop, and the organ would stop, and there'd be silence. Now, when you got 14 or 15 points, you're in serious trouble there. About the seventh point, my voice started going. About that time, the ushers started walking back down the aisle, make sure I got my orange juice. And then I knew why they'd given me that orange juice. Because they knew that they were going to preach the tar out of me, and they did. And I got that orange juice. So I was just, I was just telling what I'd been through, and now I have, it looks like fresh squeezed. It's got pulp in there, fresh squeezed orange juice. And uh, I don't feel like chief very often, but... Yeah, it's fresh squeezed orange juice, all right. I still haven't found the smelling salts, ushers, though I'm wondering where those are. I wouldn't use them to revive anybody slain in the spirit, but to wake somebody up who was asleep out of the spirit. Now some, <laughs> boy, that is good orange juice. I'm telling you, that is good. Where'd you get this? Who did this anyway? Bill Shelton? Mm. Well, I'm sure glad it's not those gin and raisins you take for your arthritis, Bill. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I'm just telling it all up here today, aren't I? <laughs> a wall, a wall may be an attitude towards somebody. A wall may be a perception you have. A wall may be a grudge you're holding. A wall may be a bitterness. It may be a feeling, but a wall is anything that divides people from other people and prevents a sense of oneness. To ignore the reality of walls between us is to acknowledge that you don't need anybody else. And there is not one of us in this room this morning that really believes you don't need all the rest of us. Naomi Judd and Winona Judd, her daughter, were cruising along. She was a nurse in Franklin, Tennessee, looking for their big break in life. She would spend her day off knocking on the doors of all the music companies in Nashville. She finally got somebody to listen. And she and her daughter became a, a, uh, uh, a gold record duo in the country music world. How many of you have ever heard Naoma and Winona Judd? And she is a Christian. Naoma has a wonderful testimony. And in the middle of, of the heights of her career, when God had given her everything she could have wanted, she found out that she had chronic hepatitis. And she and her daughter made a farewell bus tour of the nation, and they split, and she drew back from everything for a while. 
And when asked what sustained her, why is she doing so well with chronic hepatitis, this is what she said. I have studied all the surveys. I've talked to doctors at major medical complexes across the, the country. And she said, I have discovered that the key to healing after you've done everything that men can do and you've trusted God, the key is having a godly support system that loves you and cares for you and supports you. And there is no substitute for that. Who thinks we don't need the walls broken down between us? Who of us would dare say, I'm perfectly independent and self-sustaining on my own? Oh, no, you aren't. No creature of God is. We all need each other. That is why the walls must come down. Teenagers, when you go to college, you need a support system. Young couples, as you're struggling with life and credit card debt and managing three children and a traveling husband, listen to me, you need a support system. God intends for us to be creatures of fellowship and creatures who help each other. When I went to St. Louis in April to talk to my doctors about the, uh, about the uh, heart attack, I met with a young doctor who, who was my cardiologist at the little Catholic hospital where they took me first. And he sat down and spent 30 minutes with me. And he, he said to me, you know, I had a, a friend from med school with me that weekend. And he kept saying, why do you keep running back to the hospital? Why do you keep going back to that hospital? He said, I don't know why I do that, but there's a man over there that I'm deeply concerned about that I'm watching very closely. And he said, well, well, why are you paying so much attention to him? And this is what he said. I told the man, I have never had a patient in all of my practice who has the support system that man has. And there must be some reason why God wants him here. You think about that. Why should we even be concerned about removing walls? I'll tell you why. Because I need you, Robert Watson. I need you and you need me. And I need you, Alan Brown, and you need me. And Gary Chapman, I need you and you need me. And Bill Gross, I need you and you need me. We need each other. We must have the walls broken down so there's nothing to prevent the community of God from functioning to support, to love, to help, to encourage, to hold up, to meet needs, to do all the things that Christians ought to do for each other. That is why you ought to be a member of a local church. That is why you ought to be an active member of a Sunday school class. You think we want you in Sunday school just so we can count noses? Well, actually, your nose doesn't count that much. But one is a number, and you're a person, and we care for you. And it is in Sunday school when in a church this size, you're going to meet a godly support system, and you're going to build a support group, and you're going to build a prayer circle, and you're going to build people who will remember you, and you're going to build friends who will care for you. And there's somebody, you say, but there are some people in this church I don't like. Well, that's all right. There are some people you do like. Then get with those you do like. Amen. 
None of us are perfect and not all of us are perfect, but some of us are pretty, I mean, some of us are adjustable and negotiable, so at least we'll be your support system. That's what I'm trying to say. So there is unity between parties when we remove the walls. There are different levels for us. But this is the basis, that kind of unity where the walls are removed is the basis for community of faith. A survey of young men and women, boys and girls, nine, age nine to 13. This just blew my mind. I'm amazed at this. Listen carefully. A survey finished last year asked them, who are your heroes? Now, I want to show you how important community is. Now, listen to this. Of those boys and girls, age 9 to 13, 52.9% said their heroes were relatives or family friends. 52.9% said their heroes were relatives or family friends. And only 31.5% said their heroes were sports figures who kicked photographers. Uh, excuse me. Just forget that. Religious figures were their heroes only 11.3% of the time. And boy, this is a telling figure. Political figures were only the heroes of 8%. 8%. And when I read that, what impressed me was how important family and friends still are as hero role models for young people. We must not allow walls to exist between us. Now let's take the five things Jesus did and apply them to our own lives. First, he recognized the problem. If you want to eliminate or remove walls in your life between you and anybody, a husband, a wife, a brother, a cousin, a colleague at work, a neighbor, if you want to, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge the problem. And don't just acknowledge that he or she has a problem. Acknowledge that you have a problem. <laughs> I notice when I go to people and say, you got a problem, they don't take to that too kindly. But when I go to them and say, I have a problem, they listen to me. Start by recognizing there is a wall. If they, now, don't try to work hard at manufacturing one. Pastor said, I got some walls. I know I got some walls. I got to have some walls. Where are my walls? No, I'm just saying it to you. Be honest about walls that are perceptions, grudges, feelings, ways you look at people or things that hinder a sense of oneness, a sense of openness between the two of you. General Marshall, who was considered, you know, the Second World War general who mastered the Marshall Plan for the restoration of Europe, was considered a great mediator. And they asked him, what's his formula for mediation? This is what he said. The first step is hear the story. Second step is hear the full story. Third step is hear the full story first. <laughs> Listen to the other person first. Get the story. Find out if anybody else realizes there's a wall between you. Secondly, take steps to remove the causes. That's what Jesus did. He went to the cross to abolish the causes of enmity between Jew and Gentile. Are there objective causes? 
Is my neighbor angry at me because I planted a tree 17 inches on his side of the line? Guess what I'm going to do? As fast as I can, give me a shovel. What am I going to do? I'm going to dig that tree up and get it out of there. And I'm going to fill that hole and I'm going to plant some grass. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to let a tree come between me and my neighbor. Amen. I'll burn that, that baby. Get it out of there. What are the wall's causes? Sometimes it will cost you a lot to remove walls. But whatever the cost is, it is well worth the free, clear conscience void of offense when you're done. Third step is uh, reconcile the parties. As much as lieth in you, Paul said, aren't you glad you can't live peaceably with all men? But as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I've come to the conclusion, there are a few people here and there you just can't live peaceably with. <laughs> so I do my best to, I mean, uh, do my best to pray for them and, and be kind to them. And, but, but, but take steps of reconciliation. What did Jesus do? Well, he went to the cross and removed before God he removed the demands of God's holiness for man against his sin. See, man had broken God's law. He owed God a penalty. So Christ paid that penalty, so there was no reason why God should frown on us anymore. And he removed his wrath, and he removed his judgment from us, which was, is the basic cause for why any of us feel guilty or shame, because we're under the wrath of God. Well, now, take steps. Move to that person. Move to that party. And sit down and talk about it. And, and seek reconciliation by, by doing, by you're taking the step that Christ took in going to the cross. You remove the subjective reasons why you should feel bad about the wall. Do you understand? That's very important. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, leave your, if you go to the altar to worship and you find that your brother has something against you, leave it there and go reconcile. Take whatever steps you can on your part to remove any sense or feeling that you don't have a right to fellowship with that person. That's what reconciliation really is. Now, Christ took steps to reconcile us to God, but he doesn't force it on us. That's up to you. So it is with us. We take the steps to reconcile with somebody and do whatever it takes, but it's up to that person to respond. When I've gone as far as I can go, sometimes I just have to shake the dust off my feet. That's what Jesus told the Jewish evangelists to do. The fourth step is find a way to reflect the union. Jesus preached peace to those who've been far off. Oh, if, if you can remove a wall between you and somebody, it might do good for you to take them out for dinner or uh, send them a nice Christmas gift or remember, him on, remember her on her birthday take her a meal when she's not sick. Anybody can take a meal when they're sick. Just call her one night when she just rushed in from work and it's a quarter to six and her family wants to eat at six and the kids have got a soccer game or a ball game at 6.30 and she doesn't know what she's going to fix and just blow her mind. Call her and say, don't you dare do a thing. Just sit right there. I'm going to have a hot dinner for you and your family. In five minutes, it'll be at your house. That'll do it every time. So fifth, reflect the union. Reflect the unity. Try to find a way to put feet on what you're doing. And then finally, make sure you rectify any inequities. 
<laughs> Move that tree if it's on your neighbor's lot. <laughs> if you bumped your, your, your friend's car, go shine the car. Or pay him to have the scratch fixed. Or whatever. But get it removed. Do restitution. Pay it back. That's the way you remove walls. When you've done that, you've done everything that Christ would have done in order to remove the wall between Jew and Gentile. Not some time back, I, I was made aware that there was a wall between a young family and, and our church. And I had to take steps to act on that because that hurts me. That's a painful thing. I don't want any walls between a family and the church or me and a family. And if you think about it, there it is right there. Recognize the problem. Don't just, you know, many of us say, well, that's, a pro that's his problem. He shouldn't feel that way. She shouldn't feel that way. Shame on her. It's her own fault. I'll just let her stew. They'll like it tough, lump it. But that's not the way we lower walls in the body of Christ. And that is not what God did with us. Therefore, we cannot do that with others. In my family, the last time I had to remove, I've got another wall I'm working on right now that I'm praying a lot about, but a family wall. But in our family, the last big wall that I had to deal with was several years ago when my parents had their 50th anniversary. And I waited and waited to see what some of the rest of the family would do about that anniversary, and nobody came up with a plan. So you know me, I'm a go-go boy. If you don't do it, get out of the way, I'll get a hold of it. So I said, I let it everybody say, let's start making plans. It's time for us to make plans for my parents' 50th anniversary. I hadn't heard anything from anybody. You know, if there's a vacuum, I'm going to fill it. I'm a fixer, right? I'm not going to sit around here and let the 50th anniversary pass and say, why didn't somebody do something? Let's get with the program. I sent that letter out. Wow. Back to me came a blistering letter from my sister, who's the oldest in our family. think you are? I mean, that's how loud the words were on the paper. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You think you can run everything. Just because you're a preacher doesn't mean you can do anything. Never heard that one before. <laughs> and she let me have it. Now in my flesh, <laughs> ooh, who said the flesh fully died? Paul said, I die. How often? Uh, I think sometimes I die hourly. <laughs> I have to die hourly. I said, all right, stick it in your ear. Take the whole thing. I won't even come. Whatever you plan, I'm washing my hands of it. I'll fix you. If you're so smart, why hadn't you done I said all these things to myself, to her, to myself, but to her. That was my attitude. Three days, three or four days later, I'm <laughs> sitting in my study trying to pray. 
I don't know why God does this to me. I can't pray with walls. I just can't pray with walls. I sat down. I wrote my sister the kindest, most Ephesians 2-like letter I knew to write. And her name is Naomi Ruth. Dear Naomi Ruth, I'm sorry if you took that wrong. I apologize. I shouldn't have written it. Now, I had a hard time with that sentence because I felt I should have, but I reckon I knew why I had to take responsibility for writing it. And then I explained, I had to think my way through that, that a better way to, hand, to have handled that would have been to do thus and thus and thus. And so I apologized for writing a letter and said, I should have called you to see what was going on. The right way to, do, to have done that and keep that wall from coming up would have been to call her and said, Hello, Neil Ruth. This is Mark. Just been wondering how everything's going. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've got a plan. Uh, what, what's the plan on Mom and Dad's 50th anniversary? See, now what if I'd have done that? Wouldn't, wouldn't that have been better? She would have misunderstood it. So I wrote this apology, apologetic letter. I ate humble pie. I crawled on the dust because as I thought about it, I could see why she was offended. When I wrote the letter and finished the letter, I prayed about it after it was sealed. <laughs> so I wouldn't change my mind. I wanted it to be repentant. And then I sent it. And I prayed. It wasn't three days after I sent that letter till the phone rang one evening. I told her I loved her. I told her I didn't want a wall between us and I wouldn't have that for anything. And the phone rang and it was my sister on the other side. She said, thank you for writing that letter. She said, I love you too. And you're very important to me. And the letter just hit me wrong. And I was wrong in the response. And I said, no, I was wrong in writing. No, she said, I was wrong in responding. <laughs> We had it out. We both agreed we were wrong. And we had that anniversary, and it was wonderful. And I was there, <laughs> of course, and I paid my share. <laughs> and uh, it cost me, but that's okay. I planned on that anyway. But the wall is gone. And to this day, I don't have to worry. I don't have to call her and say, oh, 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 oh. There, there's a wall. I wonder what she'll say. I wonder how she'll respond to me. In fact, two out of the last four years, we've gone to spend three days with them at their, in their home just to be with them because I wanted the walls to come down. And on the basis and the authority of what Jesus has done by his blood at the cross, I'm asking you to bring the walls down in your life. We need each other. There can't be any. This message is not intended because there's any wall that I'm aware of. This message is because that's the passage I came to. and That's what I felt God wanted me to say. But I want to challenge you to take steps and make a commitment this morning to take any walls down that might exist in your home, in your marriage, in your family, whatever. Bring the walls down. Let me read that verse one more time. 
For Christ himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father, show us Jesus in all of his glory. If we're going to live forever in heaven, we've got to learn how to live together here temporarily. I thank you for your word. I pray that you will speak to each of us. And right now, Father, in our hearts, before our mind's eye, show us any walls that need to be torn down. And help us to make a commitment to you this morning to bring those walls down, to take the steps that Jesus took. Speak to somebody who doesn't know Christ. They're without hope, without God. They're without you. They have no, no future. Heaven is just, a, uh, just a, an idea in their mind. It's not a, a definite reality. And draw them to Christ that they might be saved from their sin. And speak to a Christian who's not a member of a local church not active, not got a, 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 a godly network to support them and draw them to this place of ministry and service and worship in Jesus' name. Amen.